Tony Hines, and you're listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. The only way is up. That's what it looks like. Inflation has risen to 4.2%. No surprise to me. Seems to be a surprise to the Bank of England and the UK that it would be so high. It was 3.1% last month, and they said it might reach 4% by Christmas. Well... It's gone beyond that. CPI, which is the Consumer Price Index, is at 4.2%. It's 3.1% last month. It's significantly higher than the Bank of England forecast. And there are probably three main drivers for this. The rise in energy price cap accounts for about 50% of the rise. Energy prices have increased, of course, significantly, with uh, gas prices coming in from Russia and elsewhere having increased. There's also been a 3% increase in the price of uh, car fuel month-on-month in the UK. And the temporary reduction in VAT that was put in place for the hospitality sector has been removed, and that's tapering away. And it was originally dropped to about 5% and it's now up to 12 Factory gate inflation is up to 8%. And that's a bit more worrying because that means there are things in the pipeline that are going to be more expensive in the first quarter of 2022. There's now significant pressure on the Bank of England and the government in the UK to raise interest rates. And it was noted that 1% rise in the bank rate adds about £23 billion to the cost of borrowing. So governments will be quite reluctant to, uh, to do that. But inflation now stands at double the rate that the Bank of England is mandated to achieve at 2%. So where next? Well, my forecast in... A previous podcast was around 5% and that could be reached in the next month. Inflation is at a 30-year high in the United States at 6.2%. And everything from food, rent, gasoline prices, everything is substantially increased. The price of a turkey has gone up by 24%, I think, from this time last year. So some lines of food and some lines of other goods will, of course, increase by higher than that rate of inflation because that's an average. That's just the average figure at 6.2%. So you may have noticed in your local store things going up even more. And in business, this is very damaging for supply chains because the cost increase if gasoline goes up or if uh, other fuel goes up then that obviously means that producing anything becomes more expensive it means the transportation becomes more expensive and everything is passed through the supply chain including the cost and the cost ends up at the end of that chain with consumers 
So it's consumers who will pay the price at the end of the line. It's claimed that the Biden infrastructure bill will bring down inflation and 17 Nobel laureates of economics in the US have uh, supported that claim. Proof, of course, will be in the pudding whether it does actually bring down inflation because it will certainly mean tax increases in the short term. The Bank of England in the United Kingdom estimated that it might hit 4% sometime in the first quarter of the new year, but we're already past that. 4.2% this month, set to rise even further as Christmas approaches and into the new year. The government's policy to level up, which uh, has hit the rails literally this week, as uh, the Birmingham to Leeds leg of HS2 will not go ahead because that's deemed now too expensive. And a further blow was the... uh, lack of funding to carry out the Transpennine route enhancement. So that's really put the northern cities at odds with the government. And it really is short-sighted because that's where there could be a real change to economic activity if it was easier to travel between the big cities in the north from east to west. Well, of course, the rail infrastructure debacle will of course hit supply chains because we would like more freight on rail and if you haven't got the infrastructure to run the freight on rail where it might be safer if it's hazardous material which I've talked about previously then that's a real problem it means we've got to be on trucks and if we're on trucks uh, again motorways are choked Sea freight is over 30 times more efficient than air freight. A cargo ship that carries 15,000 tons as a payload, travelling at about 15 knots, gets through about 470 tons of fuel on a 6,000-mile journey. That's about the distance from China to the UK. And according to Mike Berners-Lee in his book, There's No Planet, B, he says that it typically requires about 0.07 kilowatt hours per tonne per mile, provided that you keep the speed down. So about 20 apples, oranges or bananas can be brought to you by sea from that far away for about the same energy cost as driving an average conventional car for a mile. Sea freight, of course, is an essential part of the global supply chain, with 90% of all products moved at some point by sea. If you can double the speed, you can halve the time. That's if you want it faster. Air freight is a much more expensive alternative, at about 2 kilowatt hours per tonne per mile. But you can obviously get the goods there on the same day from most parts of the globe but it is expensive. 
travel by boat, of course, is probably good value for money. And it's a lot lower in carbon footprint than alternative travel across distance. So in that sense, it appears to be a good solution to go by ship. But it does use the dirtiest oil. It's like treacle, the kind of oil that they use on ships to power them. And so that needs to get cleaned up at some stage. And it's been mooted on many an occasion that batteries would be used to power ships. Batteries, of course, would have to be carried on the ship. It's probably heavier to carry the battery than it is for the dirty oil fuel that's carried on ships. Batteries are probably going to be heavier going to give you less cargo space perhaps and uh, the trade-off will have to be measured quite carefully because batteries have to be produced of course in the first place and there's carbon that's consumed in the production of the battery so the amortization of the battery over time becomes an important part of the calculation. When you think about how container ships travel seas with 18,000 or 24,000 boxes on the ship crossing the ocean, not always in smooth weather, sometimes through storms, with crews of 12 to 18 people on board, and usually the sailors that bring the goods don't have a clue about what they're carrying. They just do their job, and they work about 85 hours in a week, because that's the nature of sea travel. So the next time you order your goods from someone like Amazon and you think about how those goods travel to you, that's how they come. Back in 1960, in the United States, the total amount of goods entering was probably about one hundredth of what it is today. Now there's a thought. So we now bring in a hundred times more goods into the U.S. than perhaps in 1960. Container ships are said to be more environmentally friendly than either freight by road or by air. But they do have other side effects. They produce more pollution in other ways. It was said that they produce sewage, which created 400 oceanic dead zones. In Los Angeles, the sulfur dioxide they spew is responsible for half the city's smog. The level of underwater noise generated by ships is increasing by more than three decibels every decade. And the acoustic effects of this create an environment which is hostile to whales. So much of the effect on whales that we see when they become disoriented could possibly be to the increasing sound waves in the sea. So they are definitely problematic and the industry needs to do more to clean up the image. There are, of course, many natural risks involved in sea travel, from storms and weather patterns 
that dislodge the boxes on ships, injure the crews, and kill, and also travel through war zones and the risk of piracy, which has become a growing threat. The boxes that sail round the globe and go from port to port are often subject to limited inspection. So perhaps only 10% of those boxes are actually examined in any detail. And therefore there is an opportunity for much criminal activity to bypass legal authorities. Hi, I'm Tony Hines, and you're listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. You'll have heard me in the past few weeks talk about shipping and container shipping and the shortage of availability in the new large size 20 equivalent unit ships being built to carry 24,000 containers, so very large ships. But you'll have heard me talk in particular about the effect on climate from the CO2 emissions from the dirty fuel used in in shipping. And I came across a, a good article this week in the uh, Royal Society of Arts journal called Ship Shape. And as you know, around 90% of the world's goods are transported by sea. And yet the industry is one of the dirtiest. The article by Michelle Brockman, who is a shipping and energy analyst and markets editor at Lloyd's List, confirmed much of the comments that I've been making. And she reports that nearly all of the global fleet uses heavy fuel oil, of polluting compounds, consuming more than 100 million tonnes annually, and emitting 2.8% of the world's global greenhouse gases, which is almost equal to Japan's annual emission in 2020. She goes on to say the United Nations Agency, the International Maritime Organization, has set targets for a 50% reduction in greenhouse gas emissions by 2050, and a 40% fall in carbon intensity by 2030, compared with the 2008 levels. So the strategies that they use to lower carbon are sail at slower speeds using more efficient internal combustion engines and other measures such as propeller and hull modifications to meet the targets. And she goes on to say that uh, the global rules mandate that ships burn fuels with oil that has a largely reduced sulphur content from 2020, but many of the largest vessels have fitted abatement technology to continue burning the dirtiest fuel. So, not a fantastic uh, strategy for the future. So, I think the point in the in the article was uh, talking about the shipping industry needing to do a lot more than it does already, and I would agree with that. And it's what I've been talking about for a few months now in the articles when I've mentioned shipping. Some of the other things mentioned in the article here by Michelle Brockman state that 
marine oils, liquefied natural gas is said to use 20% less CO2, although the claim is challenged. And it depends on engine types. And of the ships currently on order, just 4.3% will use ammonia, hydrogen, methanol or battery power. And 6.1% will use LNG, liquid natural gas. As a result, she says, marine fuel oil is expected to retain a dominant share in shipping's energy mix over the next 20 years, which just happens to be the lifespan of a ship. Well, not a lot of hope there then. An article by Robert Bowman for Supply Chain Brain also discussed ways in which the shipping industry needs to lower its carbon emissions. Bowman says that Amy Daniel, chief executive and co-founder of Wimwood, a venture that applies artificial intelligence to maritime management, suggests that ocean carriers have moved too slowly to adopt the stricter emissions. The International Maritime Organization, a United Nations agency overseeing the industry, looks after safety, security, sustainability and legal matters. And it took drastic action on emissions on the 1st of January 2020. It said that vessels must slash the sulfur content of marine fuel from a maximum of 3.5 to just 0.5. It needs to do this to get to 50% by 2050. There are question marks as to whether the International Maritime Organization is moving fast enough. It took them 30 years to impose stricter limits on sulphur. So one might conclude that change is not necessarily what they want or certainly not in the timescales. I suppose when you think about it, there's a huge investment in ships with 20-year lives. You have to make a decision today for something that's going to be on the ocean for the next 20 years. And if you haven't built in some kind of cleaner, greener fuel arrangement, then you might be in trouble a few years down the track. Things move too fast. But the way things are heading right now with the pressure on all organisations right across the globe to lower carbon emissions, I don't think that they're going to be able to resist the pressure in the same way they have done in the past. They will have to do something. And supply chains need to be greener and cleaner. It's one of the things we're talking about constantly here on the Chain Reaction Podcast. One of the other important considerations that uh, Daniel mentioned, 97% of a vessel's emissions aren't driven by the ship design. They're influenced by such variables as weather, speed, draft, water, salinity, and even barnacles on the hull that create drag. So quite interesting, really, that uh, there are other considerations when it comes to reducing carbon footprint. And one way he suggests to solve that problem is to use artificial intelligence to plan better what the carbon footprint might be 
on any given journey. So, great article, well worth going to read. If you want to get across to Supply Chain Brain and take a look at that article, I'd advise you to do so. So there we are. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Chain Reaction. I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off. I'll see you next time. Bye for now. Chain, 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 chain,